You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So perfect timing. I want to talk about perfect timing today. How about, have any of you at one time or another said that was, that, that was perfect timing, right? That came at perfect time. We generally make those kind of statements with some emotion, more than what I just expressed there, right? You never go, oh, well, that was perfect timing, right? You never roll your eyes at perfect timing. I mean, perfect timing is something that's exciting that happens. Um, Perfect timing, though, as I've unpacked it for today's message, really comes down to this. Perfect timing is the precise intersection of supply and need and want and fulfillment. Perfect timing is the precise intersection of supply and need and want and fulfillment. And God's has perfect timing. But his perfect timing isn't in the nick of time timing. It's not uh, lucky timing. It's not random timing. God's perfect timing is always precisely executed timing. Always. God's timing is precisely executed timing. So when I think about perfect timing, when I think about outside of the realm of luck or happenstance, two particular images came to my mind. They're not great images, but you'll have to take the ones that came to my mind. Um, One was watching a relay race in in a track event where where the one holding the baton does not slow down. I mean, if they're going to win, they don't slow down and the person in front of them is running. They also begin running before they reach there. And this person's accelerating and this person coming to them. And at the precise timing, because they have a window of time they have to transfer this baton, in the back of the hand it goes and the person accelerates. And it, it, when it, races are won and lost in that context on that precise timing. The other was a more mechanical thing. It was, it was my time around engines with my father. A, a vehicle can get out of time. All right, when it's out of time, it won't run or won't run well. Pre- a precisely timed vehicle, then everything is working right. The cylinders are firing not just at the correct time, but in the correct order. And so you have precise timing wins a race in both a car or and with um, a, a track event. That is, that's an idea of what a precise timing is. And God's perfect timing is always precisely executed timing. It's how he works all day, every day, and before there even was a day, which I'll get to in a minute. So really, I've, I've front-ended this message with everything you need to know, and then enjoy the middle, and at the end, I'll circle back. Y'all, you know, for a while, the 11 o'clock was really much more energetic. The 9 o'clock was fading, and you, not today. All right, so here's, here's, here's the big line here. Trusting God's perfect timing secures your relationship with him and his peace in you. Trusting God's perfect timing secures your relationship with him and his peace in you. All right, so trust is the foundation for all life-giving relationships. You will not have a life-giving relationship outside of a trusting relationship. And in marriage specifically, the higher level of trust, the higher level of intimacy. The lower level of trust, the lower level of intimacy. 
right? And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. The closeness of a relationship, of a life-giving relationship, will always hinge on the level of trust, all right? So now let's work this into God. The more we trust God, the more we will include God in our lives. And I say this a bunch around here. God waits for an invitation for us to get involved many times. All right? Because prayer is an invitation. Prayer is an invitation for God to be involved in our lives. And the more I trust God, the more I will involve him in my life. Conversely, the less I trust God, the less I'll involve him in my life. Okay? So you can, you can talk about dependence, the more I'm dependent on God, but, but I'm using trust today. The more you trust God, the more you include him. The less you trust God, the, the, the less you include him. And what I'm hoping today is build a strong enough case to you that you will, you will increase that layer of trust in God. The quality of your relationship with God is directly proportionate to the quantity of your trust in God. All right, so what I'm wanting today is up the level of trust in you. All right, let's talk about peace. Anybody need any peace? I mean, are we all good with peace, right? That, all right, well, just in case, I'm right, all right? Peace in anything is dependent on trusting God's timing in everything. Peace in anything is going to be dependent on trusting God's timing in everything. Your peace in life will always impact your quality of life. All right? So, I've seen this. I, I live it. I experience it. I'm just like you. But, you know, um, when God doesn't hit my timing, boy, that trust in God wavers. Right? I go, well, it's interesting. We're the only variable in this context, but we, but we doubt him. Where are you? What are you thinking? How could you miss that deadline? Okay? And so when we think God's missed his timing, inevitably it connects to our trust in him lowers. All right? So here is Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. The prophet begins with you. It's the pronoun for God. So God, he's saying, because he's speaking to God, God will keep in perfect peace... Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Isn't it interesting the language he uses with trust and he connects it to rock. And then he connects it to eternal. Right? Pre-existing. Post-existing. I mean, for all time. Right? And so when, when, when I think about your level of peace or my level of peace in any circumstance, in any ordeal, in life in general, it's going to be connected to how do I trust God and do I trust that his timing isn't haphazard, random, or coincidental, but his timing is precise timing. And that's the case I want to build for you today, that his timing is precise. So Palm Sunday... Good Friday and Easter week make up what I'm calling this year the perfect week. It is the perfect week. And together they flesh out the core of Christianity. All right? So, Good Friday, we're going to celebrate Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. Not as a martyr's death. He didn't somehow wander into something wrongly. Um, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't murdered. Okay? It was a perfect sacrifice, not a martyr's death. On Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate God's ability to produce the perfect ending out of what appeared to be a total loss. Like, nobody saw this coming, right? Only him. It was a total loss to everybody that ever came in contact with Jesus, but it was the perfect ending. Today, Palm Sunday, which, by the way, is Gateway Sunday number 784, if you're keeping track at home. 
I, I am, because we just had a 15th. And I used to count them down randomly. I used to count, this is Sunday number 10, 12, or whatever. And then I throw one random in, you know, this is Sunday number 64. Anyway, this is 74. We will celebrate God's perfect timing, although his timing is often overlooked. All right? So to, today begins Christianity's sweep week. You familiar with that old term, sweep week? Right? So sweep week was when they would do all the ratings for television shows. Right? And so they would all bring guests on to get who, you know, for Sweep Week because they wanted to get like the most exposure to all their shows. Well, Christ- Easter week, I mean, this is Sweeps Week for, for Christianity. I mean, it gets more views, more attention. Um, people that you might invite to church or whatever, some other time that will look at you like you had seven eyes, they might say yes this week, right? Because it's Sweeps Week. Um, because of that, I thought it was important to point out some few things for the record, though. One, Christianity isn't a belief system. Contrived to manage the unmanageable surprises of life. Does it do that? Yeah. Is that its design? That wasn't the first design. Christianity isn't a philosophical system devised to guide values, morals, and ethics. Does it do that? If you follow it. But here's what Christianity is, as best as I can say it. It's a faith system that exchanges dead and living for eternal life through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. And when you can get that piece right, it's amazing how it directs morals, ethics, and values and have answers for the unexplainable things of life. Christianity cannot be embraced without embracing Jesus as man. Christianity cannot be of effect without understanding Jesus as God. Jesus is the God-man. All right? So a few people argue that there, is, there was an historical Jesus, and we'll get to him in a minute. Um, but many doubt that he was God. Uh, Jesus has always been, and we learn this through the Gospels particularly. So when, when, when the other Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, list the genealogies of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, they're tying Jesus to a physical heritage. Um, Matthew's wanting to tie him to, um, to David as king. Luke is wanting to tie him to uh, Abraham. And so we get, we get the physical genealogies of Jesus, right? We pre- I preached on that leading into or coming out of the spatical. We, we, we talked about that. John uniquely skips all the begats. And he goes right to the very, 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 very beginning. Because John is not trying to connect Jesus as a man or as a king John is trying to teach us and connect us with that he is God. And this is why John begins his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, And the darkness has not overcome it. This is John's beginning telling us who Jesus is. And he's telling us he was here even before the beginning. Right? Because his language ties us back and all the readers back to the languages of Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless 
and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the word for God there, the Hebrew is Elohim, and it's plural, it's a plural noun, and meaning God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit were in the beginning. All right? In the beginning. Now, now again, this is important because if Jesus was just a man and not God, then at best, I believe you can boil him down to be a good moral teacher. All right? Like, who has ever improved on do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Who's improved upon that? Nobody has. has our, would our world be different if we acted this way? Of course it would. But not just anybody else. Would the world be different if we acted that way? Right? Because another synopsis of this golden rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. I've had me some neighbors in my time. Right? So, so it's not just an application to anybody else. If Jesus was just a good moral teacher, there's no, we can't improve upon those morals, but we don't live up to those, that morality. You know why? Because we can't live up to that morality without the divinity of Christ residing inside of us. Because until you've been loved by God unconditionally, it is impossible for me to love someone else unconditionally. And it's not even probable. It's like as long as you can serve me, we're good. As soon as you don't serve my interest, we're not so good. Right? And we all live with that pull and that chain and le- unless the more and more we embrace the grace and love of God, then I can look at someone differently. And that's why it's important to understand that Jesus wasn't just a man, that he was definitely God. More than creation was happening in the events of Genesis, sin and salvation collide in the book of Genesis. And we know this when you look at the back part of the Bible, And in Revelation chapter 13, it says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. The lamb referring to Christ. Wait a minute, I thought he died in A.D. 30. Well, the man did. But from the beginning of time, before there ever was a time, before when God even knew that there would be sin, here comes the provision, the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Why? Because his timing is always very precise timing. That provision for sin would be made even before sin was had. Now, now Paul gives us some theology around this. This is how he says it in Ephesians. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. When? Before the creation of the world. He chose Wayne and Eve before the foundation of the world. And he did so, listen, this this is so cool, Um, in love. (laughs) In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to, to the praise of his glorious grace, not to our praise, which he's freely given us in the one he loves, Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. This is great language. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the New Testament again. I read it once during sabbatical, and I just said, well, I've got, I know how many chapters i got to read a day now, right? You, if you read seven chapters of the New Testament a day, you'll finish the New Testament about every 36 days. And, and you know, while, while we might reluctantly get into the Bible, or read a verse here, read a verse there, 
I'll just tell you personally, it's been so renewing, Renewal 22, to me to do this on, on such a regular, consistent basis and stuff that you would read over or blaze over or stuff that you go for for an answer, it's amazing when you get it in that context and that sequence, it's amazing how much jumps out at you. I mean, this, this lavish, like he doesn't, he doesn't um, measure out grace to us and love to us. He doesn't check to see how much he's got left in order to see if he can give you some and me some too. <laughs> he lavishes all of this on us. What great language. So all of creation was perfectly timed, planned, and executed by God. And so was our redemption. Perfectly planned and executed by God. So when you read, you're right, and he created this and this and this, and he saw that it was good, and you know, the, the evening and the morning was the first day or whatever, right? I mean, that, that sounds really precise and well done. And, you know, and so was our salvation, because it was all done at the same time. Jesus as... God. Well, what about Jesus as man? Um, Jesus' birth was perfectly timed. So we have Jesus, you can be between 2 and 4 BC was born. Now, now let me take a little nerdy sidestep to the right. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about BC and AD. So, so BC has standardized, been understood as before Christ. And A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So it was in 525, a monk changes all the calendars around to go B.C. and A.D. So it's fascinating to me that as early as 525 B.C., it's on people's mind that, that, that the Christ birth was ground zero to all of life. That we're going to count all of history down to when he was born, and we're going to count all of history after he was born. And if you're a follower of Christ, you, can count, you count your life that way. Whether you've learned it or not, you can count your life that way. Who I was before Christ and who I am after Christ. Because although you might not be able to nail down the specific time and date or remember when you came to Christ, you ought to be able to look back through the, the album book and go, I was that way here, I'm this way now. And sometimes you've got to get the album book back out to see how differently you are from who you were. And what's the ground zero? Found Jesus. Jesus found me. Found somebody else that knew Jesus. They told me about Jesus. Somewhere along the line, my life intersected with Christ, and I'm not the same anymore. But around the 20th century, we changed that because we didn't want to offend anybody. And we have BCE and CE. So it's before the common era or the current era and after the common era. See? And just as a side note, that's so strange to me. Because how would you ever know either? It, it's... Like you're in the common era, and so there was something that happened over there, so that must have been before the common era, right? Well, what happened? Well, who knows? I don't know what happened, right? Except that you still use Christ's death or Christ's birth as a starting point. But it's a common era and an uncommon era. Someone shared with me their kids took a field trip recently to some, uh, I don't know, somewhere downtown, some museum or whatever, and it was a, it was a private Christian school. And the, person, the poor person stood up and was giving them some history lesson on time and used BCE and CE, and the whole field trip corrected them. They said it was, it was, quite, it was quite embarrassing. All right, so, so Jesus' physical birth, now that I've got a swing back, why was it perfectly timed? Well, in 27 BC, um, Caesar Augustus begins what we know as Rome. And the what he ushers in in 27 BC, so 20-some years before Jesus' birth, we have the birth of the Roman Empire. And the time, about 200 years, it ended in about 180 AD with Maxus Aurelius. 
you had about 200 years of what's called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. That there was worldwide peace, short, you know, brothers and sisters fought, but you know, they had this peace, and then you had, you had um, a common currency, you had a common language, you had commerce that could happen now because you had a common currency. But then you also had a, a common road system and then even sea lanes, if you will, that this stuff could be moved in and about, right? You've heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. Well, the truth is all roads started there. I mean, that's why we have all roads lead to Rome because when Romans wanted to go somewhere, they built a road, right? They didn't just go, they built a road that someone else can follow them. And so all roads lead to Rome. You've, I've also heard the phrase, um, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Well, um, Caesar Augustus said that on his deathbed. He, you know, he said, I found, I found Rome a city of bricks, I left it a city of marble. Right? It takes time. And Jesus is born at the time when the most rapid spread of the gospel and who he was could take place. Like, how can you get such a rapid spread of Christianity if there wasn't a common language, a common currency, a common road system? That there wasn't mass trade going on, which was moving people all over the place. Who moved here for a job? Who moved here for a job? You got a job, right? All right. So, there you are. You're here because of a job. People were moving because of jobs. And they would carry the gospel when they went. So, Jesus' physical birth was timed perfectly. Just like as Jesus is God, salvation was perfectly timed. And so, that brings us to today. Today in history. So this time in history, Rome is, is, is their imperialistic force over Jerusalem and Israel. And only thing the Jews had known in their lifetime, in their history, had been exile and freedom and exile and freedom. I mean, it was a continual cycle. And although now the kind of the political religious elite had kind of learned how the system worked and they were comfortable in the system that was going on under Roman political rule, the commoners like you and me, not so much. The system wasn't working for us. We continually wanted a different system. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, they start seeing, oh, wait a minute, this may be the Messiah, and they understood Messiah as someone that would deliver them from this political, this political bondage, if you will. So, but Jesus lived his life anonymously in so many respects. I mean, for 30 years, he grows up in a small, well, in the holler, maybe, right? All right this small backwoods Swamp town. I mean, I mean, Nazareth didn't have any swamps, but it was that kind of little old, like nobody was born there, right? There was no sign when you enter Nazareth that said, you know, like George Washington slept here. Or, you know, there was, there was no claim to fame of Nazareth. And this is where Jesus grows up. Born, grows up, not born, but grows up. Well, he probably never got even outside of the shadow of his father's carpentry shop, okay? He would have learned that trade. He would have worked with his dad, and then there came this day, like just 30 years in, you know, it came this day, they're at a family wedding. It's either a family wedding or a friend's wedding. And Mary comes to Jesus because they had run out of wine and it was a major social faux pas and it would have looked really, really bad on this family. And Mary must have been very, very close emotionally to this family because she goes, gets Jesus. Now she didn't even fully know probably that what Jesus is capable of, but she had the best idea. 
Hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Mom, it's not my time. That's his answer. It's not, my, it's not time for people to know who I am. Really. Hey, y'all just go do what he said, and I'll meet you back over here. Right? Gives Jesus the eye. Yeah. See, there's two types of laughter in the room. One was the moms who know how to give that eye. And everyone else who's received that eye. Right? And he goes, he, he makes wine. He makes wine, and here is his kind of public debut. Although, you know, you notice, you read through the Gospels, he'll heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody. I know you couldn't walk all your life, and you can walk now, but don't tell anybody. Right? It, what, because it hadn't been his time, and then all of a sudden it was his time. Well, this day in history was his time. On Palm Sunday of this particular year, Jesus comes into the city because... It was time. And the best recollection I could have to this, like why? I mean, one, um, one was, wait, anybody play hide and seek growing up? After you got done counting, if you were the seeker, what did you say? This is Palm Sunday. Ready or not, <laughs> here I come. And they weren't ready. And he came. Why? Because it was the Precise time. Why was it the precise time? Because on the beginning of Passover week, on the Sunday, every Jewish household was to go get a perfect lamb. That was the day. On Thursday, we're going to eat the lamb. On Sunday, you go get the lamb. You get the lamb and you set the lamb aside because on Thursday, when we eat the Passover meal, the meal that we were told to eat and regularly participate in, to remember our bondage in Egypt, and that we would be free again. On that day, you go get the lamb. And it's on that day, Jesus says, ready or not, here I come. And he entered. You, 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 you can't even make this stuff up. Why? Because of the precise timing of God. It is perfect. It's not haphazard. It's not random. It is perfect. Can you see that it, when you lose trust in God's preciseness, you feel like you're kind of floating out in the world on your own. That maybe if he pays attention, maybe if you catch his attention, maybe if he's listening. But if we trust that he has precise timing, then we go... I don't understand it. This is painful. I wish this wasn't here. But I trust you. Because if there is a precise timing and it isn't now, it's going to be sometime and I will, I will hang with you in that time. All right, so here is how Luke records this happening. As he approached Bethphage, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? 
They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt. They put Jesus on the colt. I mean, I, I mean, I think the language is the language is pretty pretty bold. They they pick him up and put like you carry the coach off the field. You know, you just won the. They put him on the colt. And said, so as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, somewhere in palm branches. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let me pause there. Because all that language sounds really good. It sounds like a really festive time, right? We will sing it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. However, when you read it through the context of their history, basically this is what it would have said. They would have been saying, please save us. Give us freedom. We're sick of these Romans. That's really, that's the word. That is what's coming across because they don't, they don't see it. What they see is where they sit and they don't want to sit where they sit no more. Even the waving of palm branches, it sounds so nice. It was a nationalistic symbol. It wasn't a religious, here comes Christ as the Messiah kind of deal. You see how it is so easy to miss the perfect, precise timing of God when we get all caught up in everything else going on in our world. So now it continues. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? They weren't tapping down worship. They were trying to tap down a rebellion. Because at this time, almost every year, somebody enters the city trying to stir people up, saying they're the Messiah. All about this political stuff. So the Pharisees are trying to preserve their life, preserve their system. They're not trying to tap down worship because they don't understand worship. Okay? Now, this is really interesting. So Jesus says, if, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And it strikes me as he understands and knows this is not worship to him as the Messiah. But it's as good as they, as good as they had. It's, it was as good as they had. And he doesn't stop it. Man, this is freeing, folks. I've been walking with Christ a long time. And I'm sure that he sees my worship sometimes and says, well, that's the best he's got today. <laughs> and I'll take it. Right? And it had to be good enough because he says if they don't cry out, creation would. Like creation, the creation is going to acknowledge his kingship if no one else is. So there had to be enough in there that the rocks don't cry out. Then he continues. I tell you, reply, okay, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Wow. He's telling a city, you've missed my timing. If you would have known, if you would have known, you would have had peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And to circle you and hem you in on every side. They would dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Ready or not, here I come. We don't have to understand God's timing for God's timing to be perfect. I mean, somewhere 
you know, write that on your arm in Sharpie. We don't have to understand God's timing for God's timing to be perfect. Everything he did that day was precise. Everything. He even comes in on this cult. Triumphant kings would ride on in some majestic steed in victory. He comes into the city on a donkey that he had set up ahead of time, right? Precise. And what about his tears? These were public tears. Pastor, how do you know they were public tears? Because somebody wrote them down. Was this an ugly cry? It had to be ugly enough that someone recognized it and wrote it down. That he cried. He, there's only two times in all of Scripture where it says Jesus wept. One time was when Lazarus died and he had his, the empathy he had was for Mary and, and Martha. Right? He didn't have empathy for Lazarus because he was going to rise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was going to be okay. He was worried about Mary and Martha. And this is the other time. He enters Jerusalem crying over a city who missed his timing. It's convicting to me, wondering, did, what, what tears have I cost the Father? Because I didn't trust his timing. What nonsense have I gotten in in my life because I didn't trust his timing? How many tears have I cried because I haven't trusted his timing? So, well, I'm afraid I missed the timing. My experience has been when I've missed his timing, he always reroutes me back to the same place. He doesn't go, blew it. Like did, he, like, did he stop the crowd and the donkey and say, all right, I've had it. Y'all don't recognize this time? Come on now. Open your history books. I'm coming in now in the lamb, you know, and you may, fine, forget it. He doesn't, he, he keeps going and he goes and then Thursday he celebrates Passover with his disciples. On Thursday night, late, early Friday morning, he's arrested. His trials were a farce. He hangs on a cross and he raises on Sunday. He doesn't stop going, folks. Our imperfect understanding, our inability to trust him in hard times, he keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps moving. And the message today is for you to keep going, for you to keep moving. Your trust would somehow rise up out of the ashes of your, of your pain and your disappointment that you would, not that he can't handle your pain or disappointment. I've always said, I don't know how long I can handle my pain and disappointment. Right? Like he can handle my pain and disappointment, but how long can I live in my own pain and disappointment and maintain a relationship, an intimate relationship with my Savior? Because trust builds intimacy. Come on, team. We don't have to understand God's timing for his timing to be perfect. So, why? The question I have so when I go through this message, two different types of um, positions that I want to speak to that you may be in. One, let me talk to the follower of Christ. And you find yourself in a present situation of questioning God's timing. Here, here's the question I pose to you. If God would be so precise in creation and our salvation, why would he be haphazard with your life and your future? If he was so precise... 
in creating us, in our salvation, why would he suddenly lose that same kind of attentiveness with our life? I understand that Christianity, it doesn't change the road that we walk, but it changes particularly how we walk that road. Somehow, we aren't magically put in a bubble that nothing ever touches us. But all of it's different in a trust and an intimacy with Christ. God's trustworthy. He is trustworthy and his timing is perfect. The, the second position might be around You've, you, you've never known Christ. This is, an, this is an experiment, even today. Either watching online, coming in the room, it was an experiment. Somehow, some way, you came in contact with somebody or you had something go on in your life and you wanted to see if, this was, if there was anything to this Christianity. And I don't know how much I may or may not have answered during that, but you can't, you can't dismiss this irony that you're watching or listening on a Sunday that has been entitled God's Perfect Timing. You can't, you, you can't, I guess. I can't, you can dismiss it, but I don't think you can. So what do, you, what do you do with that timing? What do you do with that timing? You take another step. You take another step. You, you, you disregard that this may be coincidence and go, there's more to this than what? Maybe I thought. You may have had enough of these coincidences where you're ready to live a different way, a life of peace and trust, that you're willing to surrender your ways no matter how much you think you have messed them up. I mean, there's been plenty of salvation prayers. I, uh, probably if I'd asked for hands, there'd be hands going up all over the place where someone said, hey, I messed all of this up. It is like destroyed beyond measure, but you can have it if you want it. And he does, listen, resurrections are like his best thing. And you just walk it long enough and you start looking back at that album and going, I am not remotely the same person that I was on April 10th, 2022. What's that process? What's that path? Well, fortunately, he's done it all. He's already done all of that. Like, so he's already died on a cross. That's what we're celebrating, Right? He's already made a sacrifice for us. He's already risen from the dead. So he's already done his part. So it then sits in our court. It's the, our, what's our part? Our part is always about receiving. It's not about doing. It's about receiving. Right? Christianity is done. Religion is all about do. Do this, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do it now. Christianity is done. I already did all that. So our part is surrender. Lord, you can have my life. Take my life change my life, resurrect my life. That's your part. And it, when you see churches dotted all over the landscape, the reason why they're dotted all over the landscape is, is a bunch of people got together and said, you don't have to do this by yourself. We'll do it with you. How cool is that? We'll do it with you. So I'm going to pray. Um, well, why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. And then we respond around here by movement. You can go and you can receive communion, the Eucharist, the body of Christ to my right and left. You can do that during worship. You can come to the altar. Someone will pray with you if you want that. Um, 
if you want to pray to receive Christ, you can have someone pray with you in the altar. You could do it in your seat. But it's interesting in the year of renewal, I was taken back in memory, back to when Gateway first launched in elementary school. And it was weird on two accounts. The, the, the church people that came to church in a school, when we would have invite people to the altar, well, there wasn't one. It was a bleacher. So people were awkward. They didn't know what to do with that. And then the people who didn't know Christ... The idea of standing up and coming forward in a group of people you didn't know in an elementary school gymnasium, like way too weird. So I would end a lot of Sundays and say, if you want to take another step, you want to figure this out, email me. My email is charliegatewayfranklin.com. We'll have coffee, and I don't even like coffee. All right? We'll have coffee, we'll do bacon and eggs, we'll do something, we'll have dinner, and we'll talk about it. And I can't tell you how many people that I prayed with to receive Christ over ribs, bacon and eggs, bad coffee, in my car. I mean, literally one guy, we were in, we're in Jason's Deli, and, he, and, he's, and he's crying with me at, at a t- front table at Jason's Deli. And he says, I don't want to cry in front of people. I said, where, where do you want to cry? <laughs> so let's go back to your truck. Okay, well, my truck was parked in the front door. And here are these two grown men crying in the front seat of my truck while he's praying to receive Christ. Because, listen... We created this environment. This is a good environment. This is a safe environment. This is a great environment. But when you're not used to this environment, it's weird. It's a weird environment. Like you sang maybe out loud for the first time in a group without your phone up, you know, ever. And I get that. I get that. But there's something real here. It's real. And it's not just us. It's not like we're, it's Christ 